0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. And we are on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. Kenneth Howell, and we're going to be discussing his book, The Mystery of the Altar, Altar, Daily Meditations on the Eucharist. And for those of you out there who are not familiar with Dr. Howell, uh, he is a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology and the director of the John Henry Cardinal Newman Institute of Catholic Thought and Adjunct Associate Professor of Religious Studies at the University of Illinois. Dr. Howell is the author of several books including Something Greater is Here and Clement of Rome and the Didache, a new translation and theological commentary. Uh, Dr. Powell also holds a PhD in linguistics from Indiana University and a PhD in the history of Christianity and science from the University of Lancaster in the UK. Now, this is what Dr. Scott Hahn, author of Hope to die and founder of the St. Paul Center had to say about the book, *The Mystery of the Altar: Daily Meditations on the Eucharist*. "Quote: I know of no better resource for deepening our personal devotion to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. This book is truly one of a kind." Close quote. Dr. Kenneth Howell, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe.
3: Yeah, thank you guys. It's great to be with you. Right.
2: Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Howell, it's our custom to begin with the prayer because all good things start with the prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most amen. gracious Jesus Virgin Mary, Mary, never was it known, was known that anyone who sought your help or sought Church your intercession, intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this, by this confidence, God. we find into you, you, a virgin of virgins, our and mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and, 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 and sorrowful. O mother of the word, incarnate, I despise not our petitions, Christians, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen.
0: St. Dominic pray for us name of the father son holy spirit amen so let's rock and roll joe where do you want to
2: go dr howe i think a good place to start as joe uh kind of alluded to in your bio uh you were a convert to the catholic church i want to ask you because i always ask folks uh who come on our show who converted to the catholic church was there one moment or was it a natural progression that led to your uh home to rome
3: (laughs) yeah i think it was both i uh Was teaching at a theological seminary, a Protestant seminary back in the late 80s and the 90s. And as I began reading more and more uh, from the church fathers, particularly, I came to the realization that the um, Reformation, the Calvinist tradition that I'd grown up in, uh, had asked the right question, but given the wrong answer. The question was whose faith and order at the time of the Reformation uh, represented. Uh, the true ancient Christian faith. And over time of reading, I came to the realization that uh, it was the Roman Catholic Church that had done that. And so uh, it was the Church Fathers that really helped me to see the Eucharist as the very center of Christian worship and as the center of the Church and the center of life. And so um, I came to the realization that I needed to do something, but boy, that was a scary move. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life because if I became a Catholic, well, then I couldn't teach at the seminary anymore, uh, and that's what I prepared to do. You know, so what was I going to do? Well, one particular day, in going to mass before I was a Catholic, I would go to mass every day and just pray and, and be there. And as I went to mass one day, and I saw the the host in the priest's hands uh, as he lifted it up, I realized. This is the Lamb of God. It takes away the sins of the world. And I was supremely happy to be there and realized that this is where my life was, and it didn't matter what I had to do with my profession or how I was going to make a living. I really had to become a Catholic. And so it was in 1996 that I became a Catholic, and it was about 20, what, 23 years ago.
2: The, the reason why I always ask this question, uh, Doctor, is it takes a lot of courage, because those who are outside the Catholic Church, who are in ministry, whatever the denomination, um, it's your livelihood. I mean, like, you know, you're literally risking your livelihood. I mean, nowadays as Catholics with uh, the culture, the way it is, you know, if we prescribe to some ideas, particularly the idea of traditional marriage, you can risk your livelihood as well. And, and I, I really respect uh, people like Dr. Hahn. We, uh, we uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Bergsma as well and yourself who basically make that jump because, again, you got to put bread on the table.
3: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as fathers, you know very well, the sense of responsibility that we, we have. But I remember uh, one of the good things about my upbringing as a Presbyterian uh, was that I had my mom and, 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 the te- and the teachers at my church basically said, you know, follow Jesus above all. It doesn't matter what else you have to do in life. You follow Jesus. And so I took that to heart. And then it came to a point where I really didn't expect to be, but following Jesus meant following him out of the Presbyterian church into the Catholic church. Um, but, you know, the the benefits, the compensations have been so great. The spiritual consolations, uh, because the Catholic church is so rich with regard to its sacraments and spiritual traditions. And, you know, Every one of us at some point in our life, whether we grow up in the Catholic church or another church, we all have to come to grips with this question. When Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. When he said that if you want to be with me in heaven, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, We have to come to grips with what that means and whether we're willing to do it or not. And so um, that was the question for me. Did I want to be in heaven or not? <laughs> did I want to be with Jesus for eternally, uh, for eternity? And uh, if he did, then I had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But what does that mean? Well, as I explored that more, I came to the realization that that's partly what led to this book about the mystery of the altar is the realization that the entire early church, from the let's say the second century on, and you now. Excluding the new testament because that can be debated but but the second century on all of the church fathers believed that the eucharist properly consecrated by a validly ordained priest is the body and blood of jesus christ so i knew i had i knew what i had to do didn't matter what the consequences were Mm
0: -hmm. it's interesting i've had conversations with uh those outside the catholic church who are christian I know, uh, Dr. Howell, I never understood it. I mean, again, I'm not a Bible scholar, nor is Joe, but when you read John 6, it's kind of hard to say that Jesus is talking about eating and drinking his his body and blood spiritually. He's saying you have to eat my body and drink my blood, and he's very clear. And when the apostles looked for clarification, he doubled down on it. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're absolutely right. The teaching, and, and again, we love our Protestant brothers and sisters, but... First. You wrote this book. Um John Paul the Saint, Pope Saint John Paul II, or I believe Vatican II said that the Eucharist is a source, summit, and center of the church's life. And and how how our Protestant brothers and sisters don't see that, regardless of anything else, that is where you find Jesus, and that is in the Bible. And I would just try to keep emphasizing to our brothers and sisters, like you were just describing, when you realize it's him, you got no choice. You
2: got no choice. And I also want to, Dr., comment on something you mentioned as well, talking about if I want to go to heaven, I have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. The catechism, this is the catechism that John Paul II put out. I believe it was 1992. It's very clear. And this is where American Catholicism sometimes deviates from actual dogma. It says salvation is found through the Catholic Church. And then the next sentence says unless it's through no fault of your own well this isn't the 12th century where you have to go to to tomes to find like information you have google like are you searching for the truth and the truth is found and salvation is found in the catholic church it's a teaching of the church and american catholicism glosses over that fact But that doesn't change it. I'd like your comment on that, and then we'll get into a little bit more in depth with your book.
3: Well, you're you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the culture that we're living in has been shaped over several centuries. And already in the 19th century, at the end of that century, uh, blessed John Henry Newman made the statement that what he called theological liberalism, today we would call it relativism, but basically it's the idea that. There is no truth in religion. And it's all a matter of opinion. So you just choose whatever religion you want. So we just accept that it is normal, for example, that if you drive down, let's take a big city like New York, I've only been there a couple of times, but you, you drive down a street and you, in New York City, and I'm sure there's, there's a Methodist church and there's an Episcopal church and there's a Catholic church or a Presbyterian church, right? If you go, if you go far enough. Well, We just accept it as normal that people are going to choose to go to their church on a particular Sunday. We have to ask the question is this what the Bible teaches? Is this what Jesus taught and the apostles? The answer, I think, is and and I came to this, by the way, and this was leading me into the church. The answer to that is no. God didn't, didn't establish multiple churches, He established one church, and that church goes back to the apostles. So the question, and, and since so what I said about the Reformation, asking the right question: Where is the Apostolic Church? Because actually, all the reformers—Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Cranmer—all these people—they believed that there was one church, and therefore, they believed that the Roman Catholic Church wasn't that church. Right? That's why they became reformers, or that's why they became Protestants. And I believe that too. Growing up with that. But there isn't, there. There God did not design there to be multiple churches with multiple confessions and multiple beliefs. And the reason is this, very simply. In heaven, there are not going to be denominations. There's going to be one worship of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so God is calling people together in unity. And unfortunately, we live in a society today that's just, incredibly divided not just by religion but by race and all the kinds of things you know
0: well the devil is doing a masterful job dr howell um as far as divide and conquer like you said the, the, it's all there is is division you're listening to the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, joe resinello we're having a great conversation in the breach with dr kenneth howell we're discussing his book the mystery of the altar daily meditations on the eucharist joe resinello
2: um, in your book specifically, you bring together the voices of the great saints and the holy teachers of the past who discuss adoration of the Eucharist. Can you share with us one or two of these saints and what they had to say, Doc?
3: Oh, yeah, that, that that's wonderful. The uh, What we've tried to do in this book is to bring, as you said, is to bring together readings from actually 21 centuries or 20 centuries of the church. Uh and from the very beginning, like the Didache, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, uh, the mid-2nd century, we have the first description of the Mass or the liturgy uh, in St. Justin Martyr, right up to St. John Paul II in the 21st century in the document that you quoted earlier, uh, uh, Ecclesia De Eucharistia, the Church comes from that. Um, Let me just give you a a quotation or two. Um, There's really a beautiful one from the Eastern Church, from the Greek-speaking church, and that's uh, St. John Chrysostom uh, for March the 16th. And I'll just kind of turn to that real quick. Um, (coughs) St. John Chrysostom, (coughs) just give me just a moment. (coughs) No, it's March the 16th. St. John Chrysostom was one of the most prolific writers of the ancient church. In fact, the most in the Greek-speaking East, where all St. Augustine was in the West. Now, St. John Chrysostom is talking about the church as the body of Christ because he's, talking, he's giving a homily on Ephesians, where Paul talks about the body of Christ in the letter to the Ephesians. But then he says this, Since we are speaking of the Lord's body, he means like the church, let us recall that that body was also crucified, nailed, sacrificed. If you are the body of Christ, that is, if you Christians are the body of Christ, then bear the cross, since he himself bore it. Bear the spitting, bear the slaps, bear the nails, excuse me.
2: Well, you know, it's funny, because that's also something I think that our Protestant brothers and sisters don't fully grasp. I mean, if you ever go and I I know you have because you you were once in those denominations. I mean, the, the corpus is not on the cross. It's sanitized. I mean, if you go into uh, Latin America and you see the crucifix, you know, talking about like bearing the nails and, and, the, and the crown, I mean, it's a bloody Christ. Uh, there is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. And that goes for all of us. I mean, you must bear the cross. That is the gateway and the path to heaven. And that is a path of sacrifice. And once again, American Catholicism does not address it. Could you talk on that?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great point you're making. And this picks up on what he says here about bearing the slabs. You see, what is the heart of Catholicism is that the same life that Jesus lived on earth is being really relived, relived mystically in each one of us. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says that we bear in our bodies the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. The greatest power for evangelization is the cross itself. It's Christ himself. And in order to have that today, we have to be in union with him by holy communion. That's both a spiritual communion and a sacramental communion, but especially a sacramental one, Because that's how we receive uh, his body and his blood. So that's why we're called to this sacrificial life. And, you know, this is one of the most uh, paradoxical things about our life, which is manifested most beautifully in St. Joseph himself. And it is this. To live a quiet, sacrificial life is the path to redemption and salvation. In other words, the way that we, the way that we bring Christ into the world, is and to and to the world, is by living this life of sacrifice for God, and that is to be living imitation of Jesus Christ. That's what the Eucharist reminds us of every Sunday, every day, is that this God Man sacrificed His human life for us on the cross. And because he did that, and because he communicates that to us in our souls, then we too can live this life that is both sacrificial and very powerful.
2: You know, it's funny, because Christ, to live a life, the life of a Christian, it's very hard. Let's yeah. be honest. Yes, and yes, he yes. gave us the Eucharist. It's called viaticum. It is food for the journey. I have learned this. I mean, I fail every day, doctor, every single day. Me too. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, if you are not living a Eucharistic life, you cannot do what Christ asks you to do. I have learned that you cannot do it. Like Like, I even look at that in in the sacrament of marriage. I don't even believe in civil marriage because I'll be honest with you. I mean, I have four kids under seven. My mother lives at my house. We're expecting our fifth child. If I didn't pray the rosary and if I didn't live a sacramental life, I got news for you. It's not happening.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a beautiful realization that we can all come to is that the power is not from us. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, Paul talks about all the stuffing that he went through. And then he says, you know, and then he asked God to take away the thorn out of his flesh. And God said, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. So I've given you this through divine providence, and now I'm going to give you the strength to be able to live it. But like you, I, I completely agree. Without the strength that God gives, especially in Holy Mass in the rosary and prayer uh, we could not do that you know also oh,
0: uh i'll please jump no no i was gonna say how do um dr kenneth howell is joining the front line with joe and joe joe Pasillo, joe rossinello and we're talking about his book the mystery of the altar daily meditations on the eucharist dr howell you align daily readings in the book with the liturgical calendar and that allows the reader to contemplate a wide the wide-ranging applications of eucharistic truth in their lives. Um, talk about that. Describe that for our audience, if you will.
3: Well, as as you said, it's not a perfect alignment because of movable feasts and other things, but we tried to get as close as we could in, in giving um, readings from great saints and spiritual writers that were related to the particular feast day. Now, for example, in the readings that are in March and April and so forth, uh, late February, March, and April, they all relate to... Uh, either Lent or to the Easter season, because uh, Lent and, and Easter is always in, you know, late February, March, maybe April if it's late during the year. But let me give an example that is right in front of us. Uh, today is the Gen, uh, June the 19th. Well, coming up is the feast day of St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More, the two great English martyrs, uh, whose feast day is, is June the 22nd. Now, for the readings in our book for today, I mean for uh, June the twenty-first, it's from Saint John Fisher, and for the twenty-second, it's uh, Saint Thomas More. Now that relates to what Joe was talking about earlier, with regard to uh, here's two men who were one was a one was a priest, one was a bishop of Rochester, England. The other was a layman, but both of them. Put their lives on the line to stand up for truth. Remember what that truth was. Henry, the Henry the the King of England, had declared himself the supreme leader or the supreme, uh, you know, head of the church in England. Now you have to remember that Henry wasn't, even though he was uh, knowledgeable of theology, he wasn't. He didn't make the Reformation in England about theology. He made it about power. Mm. And isn't it interesting that we face something really similar today, that it seems like it's all about power that people want, right, rather than truth. But St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More, one a cleric, one a layman, a layman, by the way, with grown children, remember, uh this me these men stood up and said i will not sign this document that says that you are the supreme head of the church because mm. you are not the supreme head of the church
0: and it's it's interesting dr howell just and I, and we only have we have about six minutes left we want to get to maybe one or two more questions but it is interesting and no matter what anybody says you hit you made a very good point there is no theological justification for the for the uh the for the breaking off of the of the of the english uh or let's say the establishment of the anglican church there was no theological justification whatsoever it was all about power unfortunately i know a lot of people don't like to hear this it was about power and it was about lust for church property okay that's what that's my reading of it okay
3: Um, because he closed all the monasteries
0: and 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 took them (laughs) you know those 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 monks built up wealth over centuries that within several a couple of decades or so, maybe less, uh, was all taken away. But we have a few minutes left. Joe, go ahead, Joe Resinello. I know we have at least one or two more questions we want to ask. Doctor Ken Howell, who's joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe.
2: In what capacity can both religious and lay Catholics use this book? Because I think it's a great resource that focuses on some very fundamental aspects of our faith.
3: Yeah. Well, my my hope, uh, I I would say answer that in several uh, levels. The first one is that we hope that this can be placed into the hands of every Catholic priest, English-speaking Catholic priest in the world. And when you say English-speaking, that includes a lot of whose native language is not English, because a lot, of, a lot of them know English. And my hope is this, that as they pray every day, especially as they pray the liturgy of the hours, they might be able to supplement what they do in other ways already with the readings in this book. Why is that? Because their life, their ministry, their service to the church, all revolves around the altar. So the more, the deeper that their faith is, they can then let that be communicated to the people of God. So I'm hoping that every priest in the world can get it. Every uh, religious, let's say so monks, for example, or active orders, that they will be able to nurture but I'm also hoping then that every Eucharistic chapel in the country, and they seem to be growing in number again, thank God, Uh, every Eucharistic chapel in the country could at least have one copy of this so that people, whoever it is that comes in there to adore Christ in the sacrament, can take this, spend some time, meditate, and learn the great saints. But I'm also hoping that really a lot of, Uh, Many, many lay people will get this book, and I've already heard from a number of my friends locally and other places that there's a number of uh, lay people. There's a friend of mine, in fact, my co-author, Joseph Cromwood, he has a friend. The friend brought 20 copies of this and gave them free to others, right? And she did this because she could see something that's really missing from our world today both in the church and in the culture and that is this book will because the readings come from every century it gives a great sense of being rooted in history, and that's what we need really today
0: you know so- it's funny dr howell is that you know talk about what we need particularly in this culture i remember just very briefly we have a couple minutes left um i remember in my journey let's say back to the church uh and beginning to practice again all those times i didn't realize it then. Uh, but all those times sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament uh, with a little candle on, you know, the sacrament in the in the tabernacle in an empty church at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, asking God for help. The, obviously, those are very efficacious as my life has changed over the last 15 years. And it was because of all those times sitting there in front of Jesus, not even knowing what to say. but just being there with him. And it's so important that we emphasize that to people. We only have time probably for one more question. We have about uh, two minutes left. Joe, did you have something for
2: uh, Dr. Howell? Yeah, just one last thing. I mean, and, and this kind of piggybacks on what Joe said, as well as what you said, doctor, regarding adoration. How important is it to carve out time to sit before the blessed sacrament? I mean, you come from the great state of Illinois and there's a saint to be named very soon archbishop fulton sheen that swore by that i swear by it too i think it can it, it, it's the saint maker it's the factor that makes the saint sitting in front of the blessed sacrament yeah. daily if you can weekly is something i think we all can do speak to that for a little bit
3: and i'd like to give you a quote from uh one of the great theologians of, of the 20th century jean lou cardinal lou uh, I'm, I'm just quoting it in the new book that I'm writing right now about St. John Chrysostom. And basically what it says is this, that there, the, the mystery of Christ died and risen is the most important truth of our lives. All right, Now, that truth is mostly seen in the visible sacrament, but it's also mystically communicated to our souls through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jean-Daniel says that this mystery of Christ died and risen then. It is sacramentally in the church. It is in the scriptures. It's written form. And it lives mystically in the soul. When we're connected with Jesus in the blessed sacrament through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that heals so much of the problems and the, uh, and and sins and inclinations that we have as human beings. And like Joe mentioned about it, coming back, coming back to the church, I realized when I was coming into the church, something is desperately wrong with my life. And I need God to do this.
0: Dr. And- Howell, we're going to have to leave it there because we're running out of time. Very quickly, where could folks uh, buy your book so that they could read it?
3: Emmaus Road Publishing is the publisher, and they're great people. So, yeah, go to Emmaus Road Press.
0: Excellent. And the book itself is The Mystery of the Altar, the Daily Meditations on the Eucharist, authored by Dr. Kenneth Howell. We want to thank him for his time and coming on the front line with Joe and Joe. And we want to thank all of you, dear brothers and sisters, uh, for joining us here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Make sure you download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, and we are at 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith uh, to that audience. And please follow Joe and I, Facebook and YouTube, and all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Catholic Radio Works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network.
0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Basillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. And we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Rob Corzine. And many of you out there at Veritas Catholic Radio Network, you know who he is. But just having said that... Uh, rob corzine is the vice president of academic programs for the saint paul center for biblical theology he was received into the catholic church in 1994 and has held teaching and advocacy positions for several catholic apostolates including work as an apologist and catechetical writer for catholics united for the faith and as producer and host of a weekly catholic radio program on apologetics and evangelization. Host of EWTN's Genesis to Jesus with Scott Hahn. Dr. Scott Hahn, Rob holds a degree in humanities and Catholic culture from Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. After graduation, Rob spent several years in Washington, DC, working for public policy think tanks and family policy organizations to train activists teach undergraduates, and organize networks of public interest lawyers, scholars, and policy analysts. He teaches the journey through scripture program and is the producer and host of St. Paul Center Presents on Relevant Radio. Rob Corzine, welcome to the Frontline with Joe and Joe, brother. It's good to be here. All right and I was very I'm, I'm very like interested and in, maybe we'll get into it a little bit we won't get you in any trouble Rob you know over here at the <laughs> front line with Joe and Joe but when I think if you work in places like think tanks family policy organizations training activists I'm saying if Joe and I are at the front line this guy if he's doing that
2: he's storming the machine gun that's there
0: You know.
1: <laughs>
2: so uh, but with that I'm going to hand it over to Joe Rob as Joe read in your bio, uh, you were received into the Catholic Church in 1994. I always ask converts this question because I think it's something that our listeners would be interested in. And frankly, I'm interested in it. How people you know, recognize the truth and their eyes are open. Could you tell us just briefly about your journey to Rome?
1: Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> raised in a very um, godly and devout um, Baptist family. And uh, not just a um, not an American Baptist or a free will Baptist or even Southern Baptist, but a sort of um, fundamentalist of the fundamentalists. Uh, we were a group that broke off from the Southern Baptists when when they became too liberal. So it was uh, it was the Bible, the whole Bible, at least we thought so at the time and nothing but the Bible and, uh, you know, and a, a sense of our strong mission of evangelization uh, and anti-Catholicism. And so the fact that I would wind up Catholic was um, would have shocked anyone I knew or anyone, you know, uh, I was associated with at the time. And um, but mine is a fairly uh, typical story, I think, for a lot of people Uh, really devout childhood. And then a kind of falling away as a as a teenager until I was uh, I was in what I call the Church of Rob uh which is the faith of the baptist bible fellowship and the practice of the university of michigan and then i met a catholic girl and uh and she challenged me uh in ways that i hadn't been challenged before um and uh and i had really good answers for all of her questions she wasn't really that well equipped to argue with me but she um she gave me a big ziploc bag full of Scott Hahn tapes That uh, that she had she had gotten from a friend of a friend uh, who turned out to have been to be my sponsor into the Catholic Church and uh, so for years I uh, I spent. You know wrestling and studying and trying to answer those questions that that his conversion story had raised, I was pretty sure he was wrong, but it was a profound moment of conversion for me had I never become Catholic, I would still owe Scott a great debt, it was. That was my call back to Christ. And then it was scripture again, but then all of a sudden joined by uh, by history and the church fathers especially. And this vision of the way that the people of God have understood the word of God down through the ages. Um, the guy who was my sponsor, you may have heard of Gary Machuda.
2: I do um, know him. He's on Virgin Most Powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Gary challenged me. And I had never heard of the church fathers and we were having this conversation i'm like well you guys have your tradition, you guys have your theology whatever but it's the Bible that's inspired it's like that's true, but let me just let me just pose this thought experiment to you. Um, If there were people who lived at the time of the apostles who spoke the same language, you had the same customs. Who some of them were actually personally in touch with the apostles uh, and had or had learned from the people who learned from the apostles. Who do you think would be? I'm like, I'm going to stop you right there. The Bible is still the only inspired word of God. He's like, Yeah, yeah, that's not my question. Who do you think would be a better interpreter of the Bible, you with your English speaking 20th century education, or somebody who was immersed in the world of the Bible? And I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, It would be me i would i would still have the holy spirit but i knew that was crap and i went home and like oh wow if there's if there's people like that i need to listen to what they have to say the church of rob
2: was speaking again
1: yeah uh yeah and yeah the uh the the will is resistant um and uh because we don't want to we don't want to see the implications of we don't deal with the implications of what changing our theology might do but um but if you want the truth first then then eventually all those all those other things have to have to step to one side and so i um i saw a bible in which jesus promised to be with his church now and through the end of the age and i saw historically that my form of christianity was only a hundred years old and i needed to be in communion with that church that Christ had promised to protect down through the ages, so it was one issue at a time, thing by thing, and and just phenomenal graces on the way until I found myself um, in May twenty second, nineteen ninety four, the Feast of Pentecost, um, being being received into the church along with uh, with Gary standing behind me and the other people being received at the same time were Stephen, Janet, Ray. And uh, and their kids love Steve Ray. Yeah, guys, awesome. So
0: you see- you're being you're at the front line with Joe and Joe Joe Pasillo and Joe resinello and we are in the breach with Rob Corzine. Now we asked Rob to come on because we want him to discuss the Bible series uh, Perusia, which is being offered by the St. Paul Center. And so Rob, tell our audience a little bit about it. What can people expect from the Bible series Perusia?
1: parasia yeah parousia yeah this is uh this is the latest in a series that we call journey through scripture that we've really been doing in one form or another for about 15 years it was uh it was the parish bible study when scott founded or scott and kimberly founded the saint paul center their dream was we want the very best bible studies in the world to be the catholic bible study when someone moves to town and says hey i want to join a bible study where's the best bible study they have to go well it's over at the catholic church and, uh, and so the Journey Through Scripture has, you know, Bible and the Virgin Mary, uh, Bible and the Sacraments, uh, Bible and the Church Fathers, um, and Bible and the Mass. And this is, the, this is the, the video version of that. So for about 10 years, we took that show on the road. We would go and train people to give those studies in their parishes, but there's a limit to how many Catholics you can get to stand up and present a Bible study in their parish. Like, we have to get this on video. And Parasea is the first one that, um, that Dr. Hahn has been the primary presenter. For the first ones we put on video was Matt Leonard. And um, this is really the culmination of Scott's whole, um, you know, career of teaching on, on the mass. So, Letter and Spirit, his uh, sort of best-selling book, and uh, a book called Consuming the Word a book called uh, Letter and Spirit, and then a book called The Fourth Cup, all come together in this video series where it's Dr. Hahn teaching on, on the Bible and the Mass. And uh, and they've made it like really accessible. They're like 20 minute episodes. And uh, and so instead of sitting down and reading six or 700 pages, you can really dig in and get the meat out of those uh, those books on the Eucharist. And it should, um it should change your life if uh if the mass is the one thing that we have to do as as christians as as catholics and the bible is the one thing that's read every time at mass like your understanding of scripture uh directly affects your ability to um to appropriate all the graces in the mass infinite graces are there in every reception of communion but our disposition to receive them varies and changes so the more you learn and understand the more you get out of mass i would you got to go there anyway so you should you know, increase your understanding
0: yeah I I, I'm gonna hand it over to Joe but uh for a question but I, I think it, I think it's you know one of the things I love about you Rob about Scott Hahn others Dr. Brant Petrie Dr. John Bergsman, people like that is I never see an axe to grind in your apologetics and your you know biblical you know uh, teaching you know teaching on the Bible it's just very matter of fact yeah. here's where it is in the Old Testament here's where it is in the New Testament this is how we know this. It's just explained, I think, so effectively. And unfortunately, I think of a lot of times our Protestant brothers and sisters, they have their ears closed. You know, they, they because when I listen to Scott Hahn, going back a couple of decades, right, or you or Petrie or anybody, I'm like, wow, this that's that's I didn't know that. Or I didn't know that. And, I, and not because I'm Catholic. I'm like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Like, right. well, you know, that's why I love the way you, you the presentation. Of the teachings of the church that you guys do, I, I think is just is is wonderful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I there, there, how could there possibly be a place for uh, for an axe to grind or, or a self assertion, right? Everything we have, we receive. It's just uh, Scott likes to say, we're just one beggar telling other beggars where we found some bread." <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Joe Resinello.
2: You know, I, I want to comment. Back to your uh, conversion story for a minute. You said something I thought that was rather interesting. Um, you said a lot of things, actually, that were interesting. But particularly, uh, you said that your tradition, your Baptist tradition, were, was very fundamental. Now, obviously, you're a very intelligent guy. You went to the University of Michigan. I, you know, It's clear. Yet, in the Bible, it is so specific that Christ says that the Eucharist is my body. And it is so specific that it says that the church was founded on Peter. Now, not everyone went to the University of Michigan and not everyone as well read as you, but most people can read. And it's not me saying it, it's Jesus saying it. And coming from that tradition, I I find it difficult how people can't then look to the church. Like, honestly, talk to that a little bit like because I think a lot of people out there will say the same thing because I did as you were saying it
1: yeah yeah um yeah I think the the difficulty is that the using the standard of scripture alone is is radically insufficient and one of the doctrines that the that the Protestant reformers put forward is the perspicuity of scripture. There's a fancy way of saying you just read the words and everybody should get the right thing out of it. And um, every, it's just not the case. Everyone, in fact, reads the, reads the, the scriptures through and in a tradition and, and they can, it can challenge you and, and contradict you. Uh, and as it, as it, you know, all converts have had that experience of, you know, this thing I believe is, is not in line with, uh, with revealed truth, but we did not have that. We did not have that experience as a, as a matter of course, we were, we were reading it and find, you know, there's occasionally there'd be those uncomfortable, you know, parts and you find a way to, to, to work it through. So in John six, you know, it, how how much more explicit could jesus be like you know unless you you know eat the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in you that is crystal clear but uh i think is my my middle position as i was being challenged with that if i recall was to go well you know if you s- switch back a couple verses he says you know he who comes to me will never hunger He who believes in me will never thirst. So maybe eating just means coming to him. So you find a way to, so on the one hand, we would say, we just take the Bible at its face value and, you know, like interpret it literally. And the other hand, we would always find ways to get out of the the hard passages. You need to read it in the way, in the, the spirit that it was written and by the spirit that it was written. And it was written by the apostles. Jesus didn't say, you know, go therefore and write. He said, "Go therefore and preach." So all of the authority in heaven and on earth that was given to Christ that He then bestowed on His apostles, writing is only one of the ways. So we were trying to, we we're trying to reproduce the faith of Jesus with half of the data, and uh, and that will never work. You know, it
2: comes to, I mean, speaking to that point, it has nothing to do with intellect; it has everything to do with will. You see, like it's about bending the knee. You know, whether you're the smartest person on the earth or you're the simplest person on the earth, the path to heaven is bending your knee, saying, yes, yes, like our friend Forrest Gump. Why do you put that gun together so well, Forrest Gump? Because you told me to, sir. (laughs) That's how I look at it. Yeah. Like like it's because you told me to, and I'm going to do it because you're God and I'm not. And that's the impediment. People rationalize it. They talk about it. They do this constantly within yeah. the church clerics as well as the laity. No, it's because you told me
0: to, sir. I had a guy come up to me at work, a young kid. I love this kid, right? He's an evangelical. And just out of nowhere, they know I'm Catholic at work. And he, he looked at me, he says, so where's in his Spanish accent? He's Hispanic. He goes, so where where's the Pope in the Bible? Because he's an evangelical, I want to say you really want to have this conversation at work, Jose. Do you? I said because this this might take a little bit of time. But yeah, it's like I want to say I could tell you. That, you know, if you like, you want to go out, you have to work. You want to go for a scotch? Well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly where the Pope is in the Bible. His name's Peter. Go ahead, Joe. Joe, yeah. let's Joe. Let's talk about we have Well, we have a good amount of time, but let's talk about
1: take and eat. Yeah, Joe.
2: actually,
1: if, if I can just add one more thing, there are there are two things there. I think as um as protestants we would often you know point to the bible and we would say well you just don't see it but god said it i believe it and that settles it and that that's a a a laudatory thing but it's a little bit twisted god's what well, we should say is not god said it i believe it and that settles it but god said it that settles it and i believe it it's a, different, it's a, it's a slightly different and um but and you're right it's not a it's not a question of intellect uh but of will but there's also this mysterious element of grace in it i mean i know protestants who are both way smarter than i am and way holier and haven't yet been given that that grace of conversion it's also just the mysterious action of the holy spirit you know giving us something that we don't deserve
2: Amen. That's a wonderful way to put it. As Joe said, uh, the focus of this interview is is the short video that you guys put out at the St. Paul Center, Take and Eat. When I watched it, I found it to be both inspirational as well as educational. I encourage all our listeners to check it out. Could you give us a little taste of it, Rob, um, and where people can find it?
1: Yeah, so you can find it um, through the, the our website, stpaulcenter.com, or just go to of uh, the St. Paul Center's channel on YouTube. We're uh, really gonna find a bunch of stuff there. Uh, myself, John Bergsma, uh, Curtis Mitch do a daily reflection on the mass readings there. But this, um, this cinematic sequence, we called it, was the solution to a really hard problem we had when we were doing uh, this Bible study. There's a lot of really you know, bright content by Dr. Hahn, but a lot of it's not very uh, visual. Right, so so the idea of you know Parousia meaning presence, not last coming. Uh, the idea of um, New Testament meaning New Covenant, which in the Bible always means the Eucharist, not these books. Uh, so there's some really kind of abstract, like beautiful teaching on the Eucharist. But how do we put that on the screen? And we are working with this very talented young filmmaker, Artie uh, Delgado, and he's like, I think I can. I think I have an idea. So he put together this cinematic sequence that actually starts with the, you know, some beautiful images of creation and um, the fall in the Garden of Eden, and uh, and then the upper room, and then a mass today. And the idea is uh, sort of this thread of take and eat, where man fell through an act of eating, and God redeems us. Uh, through the sacrifice of his son that's communicated to us again in an act of eating. And so it visually shows how the um, that first Eucharist at the Passover in the upper room with Christ and his apostles is not like the mass, but it is the mass uh, both uh, throughout time across the world and even pointing forward to the um, the marriage supper of the lamb in in heaven and it's uh yeah it's a uh, it's a kind of it's a beautiful kind of meditative uh take on all of salvation history that god from the beginning has been seeking communion with us and and he find that finds its peak intimacy when we receive him as body blood soul and divinity under the form of bread in the mass, so it's uh yeah it's, it's I highly encourage people to go and take a look at it.
0: I do. I find it like you said, and and again, Rob, believe me when I tell you, we, Joe and I, we love our Protestant brothers and sisters. We do, okay. Um, but you know, it's it's just getting back to scripture and talking about what you're saying about take and eat. I know for me, trying to understand the Eucharist, you know, let's say going back about 15 or 20 years, as I started to, to start to practice the faith again, there was three. Blinding examples in Scripture to me that said, "Well, it's got to be," like Joe said. You know, listening to authority. Well, I'm listening to the words of Christ. John six. You just mentioned the Last Supper. Okay, this is my body. Not it looks like my body. Not it represents The symbol of my. This is my body. Okay, and the road to Emmaus. Okay, where where Jesus breaks the bread and then the eyes of the apostles are open. I, I again just not beating a dead horse, but just saying it clearly, I pray that our Protestant brothers and sisters look at the plain text yeah. right? and Jesus' own words. And you can't come away with anything other than Jesus is in the Eucharist. That host is actually Jesus' body,
1: blood, soul, and divinity. Yeah, the Catholic faith is the master key to understanding the scriptures. If you come to the text of the Bible alone, you're you're gonna find some confusing things you're gonna have maybe some strategies to make sense of it but once you once you have the master key you look at it through the light of the catholic faith it's like aha that makes sense of it this organizes all of those hard parts and um so that's the like it's it's not easy for someone to come into the text alone to To generate all of the truths of the faith, even if they're there, but if you come to it with the um, the way that it was intended to be, right? The scriptures were not written to be a um, an instruction book that people sat down with alone. They were written to be proclaimed to the people of God at the mass. It's a liturgical book.
0: For those of you who are just joining us, we're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Masillo. Joe Racinello, Away in the Breach, with Rob Corzine, and we're discussing Bible study uh, Parisi- P- parousia. I always screw that up. I, I, no, it's, a, it's a tough uh, word. It's one of those, So know, uh, parousia, and the film clip also offered by the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, Take... And eat and, and all the resources, by the way, we would emphasize to our audience out there at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, um, all the resources of the St. Paul Center you need to avail yourself of. So, Joe, we probably have about, I don't know,
2: five, six minutes. I'm going to hand it over to you. You know, the, the language of the video uh, embodies the St. Paul Center. It's a common theme. It's basically when Catholics take and eat of the Lamb of God at the holy sacrifice of the Mass, we partake in the worship of heaven. And earth, I mean, this is a constant theme that comes from the St Paul Center we we've been involved with you guys for quite some time we've talked to a a number of the authors we've talked to Scott. Um, You know, this is an important thing, clearly, and this is what I'd like to, to get your opinion on because we talked a little bit about this with regard to your conversion um. And I want to express my view and then I'd I'd be interested in what you have to say clearly that is the truth, and yet we've already determined that intellect isn't the, the way that people see that my view and my experience is people have to see it lived out, you see, like the greatest distance in the world isn't from here to the other side of the world. It's from the head to the heart. It, right. in, my, in my experience, people must see Catholicism lived out and then their eyes will be opened. Basically, you know, expand on that thought. Do you disagree or do you agree? Because I, to a degree, I think we could intellectually walk into that. But the most efficacious way is when people see it lived out. I'm interested in your view.
1: That that's absolutely right. And um yeah, you know, so we are commanded in the scriptures, right, to love the Lord our God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So they all go together, right? You can't say, I'm just gonna be pietistically like emotionally loving God over here and leave the mind out. But you also can't just say, I'm gonna, you know, study and come to enlightenment and and never live it out. And we we find that in the history of the church that this is how uh, this is how the church spread uh, at in the early um, in the early centuries the church was growing at about forty percent per decade and it was doing it without any publishing uh, without any media with very little preaching outside people were seeing the the behavior and the the lifestyle of their Christian neighbors and saying I want that when plague would come to town the doctors and the priests and the Roman elite would split and get out of town and preserve, preserve themselves. The Christians would nurse their, their neighbors and their families. It gave them both a better survival rate and people wanted to be like that. That was Jesus's standard, right? They'll know you're my disciples because you love one another. If your faith doesn't grow legs and walk out into the world being, you know, Christ to them. They'll never see the um the brilliance of your arguments. You, I need, agree. you need the intellect, you need to have those arguments. But the uh but the standard that we have in the scriptures, right, is sanctify the Lord in your heart and then be ready to give every an answer to anyone who asks you. Uh and sometimes we get that upside down. Like we go, we go out giving people our answers before they have questions. I think the first step in evangelization is not to give people the right answers, but to help them ask better questions.
0: I, I think that's so important. I've had to learn that over time, Rob Corzine, um, because, you know, I, I, and I needed to learn this because I'm, I'm Italian. So I got the, I got <laughs> gabba as they say, you know, I want to win an argument. Yeah. And then I realized, I realized, no, 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 I'm not talking to this person because I want to win an argument. i talking to this person because I want them to come into the Catholic Church. And what's the best way to do that? let them ask their questions okay and let their darts bounce off you because there will be a lot of darts okay Uh, let those bounce off you and grow some thick skin okay but let them ask their questions and and then address those questions don't i learned this the hard way don't come right over the top of somebody that turns them off that combined with what joe's talking about about yeah, you know, well, you say you're Catholic, you say, well, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You don't exactly look like you're living a Catholic life. Yeah. You know, people do have eyes, you know, yeah. they, they, you know, and we need, and again, it's not why, because we walk around, this is very important. I want. We have about a minute left. I want you to talk about this, Rob. We don't walk on water. We're all sinners. We just very simply bend the knee. We say there are things that we acknowledge are sinful. We try to avoid those things. And there is, yes, the worship of God. And we want to try to do that as as, as perfectly as we can, you know, uh in the in the proper way. Talk to that a little bit about yeah. being that example. We have about a minute left, but I want to give a little bit of time for you to let people know where to uh to find
1: all your work. That's right. When again, this is right there in the teaching of Jesus. If people say, if people see us saying, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not like that sinner, we will we will not find anybody finding that attractive and wanting to be like that but if we have the the humility and the reality to live in the world as it really is and to say be merciful unto me a sinner then you know people can see that that's that that's real and um and they they have the experience in themselves of needing that mercy um and all we really need to do is show them that that thing that they need that that thing that they were made for that that Empty place in their heart, like can be filled, like has a purpose. Um, and we need to, we, we show it by, by showing that we've, that we found it. We are a beggar telling other beggars where we found the bread of life. We're going
0: to leave it right there. Rob, of course, I want to thank you for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Rob, where can people uh, get all the information and have access to all the content from St. Paul Center, including Parasea
1: and, uh, and take and eat? The easiest thing to do is go to just stpaulcenter.com, just st paulcenter.com there's also a um a, a mobile phone app that you can download that's just the saint paul center app but all of it you can access you know emmaus road publishing journey through scripture the whole nine yards just going to StPaulCenter.com
0: awesome rob corzine we want to thank you for joining us at the front line with joe and joe we want to thank all you out there brothers and sisters at the veritas catholic radio network we're here joe and i spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york metropolitan area northern long island Connecticut, uh, Fairfield County, Connecticut, parts of Westchester, and we are growing. We would ask you also download the Veritas app. You can find us also at 1350 on your AM dial. And also please follow Joe and I on social media, Facebook, YouTube, until they shut us down, of course. But for now, you can find us there. And remember until the next time, brothers and sisters, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.